Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, November 20th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everybody who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or if you're listening through the archives or don't want to call in live, you can email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get an email question or comment from you, we'll address it on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole lot easier to do when we get direct feedback from people about how this is landing for them, what's working, what's not working, how we might assist you in improving the results you get when you choose to use these tools and improve your quality of life. We've been reading the Way of Mastery again, and uh, we can talk about before, if, if I start reading again, I just want to reiterate that it is always welcome to have someone raise a hand, either because they've got a question related to what's being read or because they've got a different question or comment. And um, if you're calling in the show and you have interest in getting some feedback, even if it doesn't seem to be on the current topic, please raise a hand, give us the opportunity to uh, address your comment or question, and um, we'll make it all work out. We'll get back on topic if we need to, and we will do our best to try and facilitate resolution or answers to whatever questions you might bring up. As it as it fell out, uh, came together on Friday, that, that hour of this show, for me, bared repeating. So um, these shows have been edited for the first hour and loaded up to the mindshiftersacademy.org webpage on a on a page which is titled 2023-2024 Way of Mastery with Commentary Lessons 1, 2, and 3. And unless I find a different way to do it, I'll probably load lessons 4, 5, and 6 on a separate page, etc so the pages load quickly and easily and don't get too overloaded with um, files. And so if you want to review Friday's show, that's that's where you find it. It's labeled uh, Lesson 3 Continued. And... Um, I realize as I look back at that, I've got two of those where I need to put the date on the lessons, Thursdays and Fridays. But I'll edit that. And 
that's just one more resource we try and make available to people to um, make it easier to access this work. It's the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there are select files there and an educational materials page and uh, some downloads available from that. And the uh, pages, two separate pages for information if anybody wants to join us on a Tuesday or Thursday night for the support groups. So, call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll see it, hopefully in a timely fashion. And turn on the microphone and announce you by the area code. Someone just did that. Area code 541. You're in the air. Yes, Michael. I'm Michael. Yes, Dr. Tim. How are you today? I'm doing well. And you? Uh, Very good. And you, again, and everybody listening? Um, I wanted to share with you, uh, you, perhaps you got my text, of how your support group and your work and my willingness um, just absolutely turned that, issue around for me and I just wanted to verify that your grit and my grit and you know all of you the support group uh, really just made a phenomenal difference so I wanted to let you know that Um, things are well and I hope everything is going swimmingly Um, the awareness of what Michael said about the Willingness is the pearl of price, and I didn't, I never made that connection, so I'm making it now, the precious pearl and, of, of great price, yeah. And the connection you're making is that willingness is that's the pearl our of great price? Yes, that's what Michael Rice mentioned. That he 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 just offered the possibility that the great the pearl of great price that Jesus talked about that where we will sell all of our possessions to have that pearl of great price and he connected it to willingness and I thought that was so beautiful and so apt for me that um, I just took it and ran with it. And the grit, that I see that as the grit. You know, it's grit and grace, I think. And um, the grace of Uruha coming in or creator or the Christ, uh, however we want to define it, because it's just different aspects of the creator for me. And um, that, that alchemical connection between grit and grace that transforms us. Um, is amazing, and sometimes it can just happen in a twist. We can be struggling all of our lives for that pearl of great price, and just all of a sudden something will come together. And one of the things that came together for me is that group support. Um, I first learned that about In Touch for Health when they would say, if we facilitate your balance 
um, process, you know, their tools of balancing, that um, we also get a balance. We piggyback on that facilitation that we help you with. And so I, I hope that was the situation for our support group that night also. So much appreciation. Well, you're very welcome and deserving. I'm sure that uh, because everything works in this flow that that's exactly what happened. So thank you for the feedback. I'm glad you're finding it valuable. And um, that's basically why we do this, just to try and be of service. And we understand that when one of us benefits truly at a fundamental level, then everyone benefits. So, So anything else from you today? No, it's just nice to open little pockets of joy and have that pocket grow bigger and bigger. All right, so I will mute you so you can listen to the second part of this show and the second hour, should you choose to stick around for that. Thank you for the comments and feedback. And um, essentially the mini testimonial about the group process and, again, those Group sessions are available uh, for free. No one's turned away for lack of money. And um, if you have money and want to donate and support, you can. But those are available on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. And we would appreciate it when anybody joins us and or spreads the word to someone they think might benefit from knowing about that and being able to join us and we have plenty of time for other comments or questions and if nobody else raises a hand I will return to the reading of the uh, third lesson in the way of mastery people have been making comments over the past a few weeks on uh, the first hour and the second hour and occasionally uh, misspeaking that we're reading the Course in Miracles again. But this is the way of mastery we're reading. And um, we've had a, a whole year, a year of 2022, in which we read these lessons with commentary and those are available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website they're also in the in the archives but they've been edited out to just have the first hour and those that have been specifically uh, set aside with the um, the way of mastery content And so this is our second time going around, and it is fascinating to me about what jumps out, what what calls to my uh, calls my attention to it, and or that I hear it as I'm hearing it or reading it in a different way, and we're welcoming comments anybody who have a similar experience of, well, the last time I read this, I didn't even 
remember that it said X, Y, and Z. And if you've got one of those, we'd be happy to discuss it with you and or hear that perspective. Um, we try to remind ourselves that it isn't the teaching that's varying. It's it's the set of ears or the brain cells, as Michael Rice would say, that's receiving it this time through. I'm not the same person I was almost two years ago when I began reading The Way of Mastery with and doing it with commentary. And what I offer each time I do it is a product of who I am in that moment interacting with whatever the teaching is. And Michael Rice used to joke about having the uh, special technology that would allow the recording to change from one listening to another. And, of course, it's just a joke. The reality is I'm changing. I'm always growing. I'm always having an impact on the world in a slightly different way and the and the world is impacting me in a slightly different way because I don't I'm not static. I'm not like the um let's say a snapshot of a person or a personality. I'm part of this flow of consciousness that's always extending, that's always changing, that's expanding. Michael Singer says, you know, you are not just a human being. You're certainly not just your thoughts about yourself and the ego. You are an ocean of consciousness. So this time through, as we're reading in the third lesson, in the way of mastery, and that lesson is titled The Power of Forgiveness. And we were just talking on Friday and, and going over with some of the questions that Susan Bingham had at the time, the idea that instead of knowing what to do, instead of living from belief or dogma or ritual. This work asks me to go into each moment with the not knowingness, with the empty-headedness, with the realization that I don't know what anything is or is for, and I ask to be shown. And the part of the reading we did right as we were wrapping up on Friday was offering some questions. And it said, in all situations, no matter what another person is doing, whether they're coming at you with compassion and joy and gratitude, or they're coming at you with anger and fear and vindictiveness and rage, whatever the energy is coming out of them, in all situations, once you've cleared up enough of the garbage perceptions and beliefs in your energy system, once you've done this 
forgiveness process of dismantling negative perceptions about yourself and about other people and about the world around you, you will be in a position where your first response, moment to moment, will be to enter into the quiet stillness within yourself and simply ask to be shown. Here they use the words Holy Spirit. In the ancient Aramaic, that would have been Aruka Takucha, which is an elemental force specific to humans that every one of us has access to. And it's there in your consciousness. And it's there to break off the effects of the errors in your thought. It's there to guide you to truth and happiness if you just ask it to. And so here are some questions. In in every moment, when you drop into that still, quiet place within you and ask, what would you have me say? What is most important for this other soul in this moment? What would you have me say or do that can serve the healing of my brother or sister's heart in this moment? And we ended with this last mini statement that all that we're sharing with you in this book, not just in this lesson, but in this entire course, which means all 35 lessons in the way of mastery, all the the other writings in, in the Christ mind pathway, all that's being shared has as its final goal your complete Christed consciousness and the fulfillment of what your own soul desires, which is the ability to see itself completely clearly as one with all of creation and consciousness without any of the false beliefs, without any negativity or judgment. And that would be the result of using the process of forgiveness, dismantling those false perceptions over and over and over again, an infinite number of times until it's complete. The next segment is titled Forgiveness, the Bridge to the soul of your brother and sister. And the text reads, there is nothing you can be aware of in the energy of another that you have not known in yourself. There is nothing another person can say or do or even imagine themselves capable of saying or doing that you have not known also. Again, it takes one to know one. When you perceive another acting out of hostility or fear, the only way you can recognize it is because you have been there. The very fact that in your world one can murder another's body and you can react with knowledge that this is inappropriate behavior is because as a soul you know the energies involved in the attempt to murder another. If you're honest with yourself, you can probably come up with at least 50 times in the last year alone that murderous thoughts have entered your mind. You may not act on them. 
you may not even dwell on them for more than a split second. And yet the energy has come into the field of your awareness and you have known it and recognized it. Who then is less than you? Who then is worthy of your judgment? No one. Who then is equal to you? Everyone. And who then is worthy of your love? Everyone. Forgiveness is the bridge that links you to the soul, the essence of your brother or sister. Forgiveness is that bridge that when cultivated will allow you to see clearly not just the energies that another is expressing, but you will literally be able to see what events seem to cultivate that soul's belief that they must act in a way to survive and what perceptions have led them to feel justified in their inappropriate behaviors. You will see it as clearly as though someone had drawn a picture in front of you. When you have forgiven enough, when you have removed the false perceptions enough, you see with a clarity that words cannot describe. The text goes on. Then you will see skillfully what to say and what to do to gently help another correct their misperceptions of themselves and learn the path of self-forgiveness. In other words, the path through which they can dismantle their negative and therefore false perceptions of themselves and the false perceptions they carry of others. And when that hour comes, the text goes on, and when that hour comes, rest assured, you will walk in this world, yet you will not be in it. You will become as I became. You will be the savior of the world. If you are able to see clearly, meaning if you have removed every false perception, every perception that leads you to a negative experience, a tightness, a tension, or any of the emotions we might label as negative. When that happens, you will be able to see your essence clearly and the essence of your brother and sister clearly. And then you'll be in a position right there in a breath in the moment as you ask what does your brother or sister need, you'll be shown. And you'll be shown exactly what to say or do that can help your brother or sister see the falseness of their perceptions and assist them into the awareness that all of their negative perceptions are false. And when they have that awareness and they see it as false, it will fall away for them too. And when that happens, when people, when souls, when sparks of consciousness wake up to the fact that they are not just the intellect, not just the body, not stuck in an endless cycle of thought 
that that's not the only thing they have access to, then they start to wake up. And as they wake up, others wake up. And that's the process they're referring to here as you will be the savior of the world. The next title, next section is titled Veil of Projection. The text reads, what is projection? Projection occurs when there has first been denial within yourself. Projection is an act in which you psychically try to throw out of your own ownership everything that you have judged as being despicable or unworthy of you, something you do not want. So you will project it. You will throw it up and out and let it land on whomever happens to be nearby. Projection is the effect of the denial of the first axiom that I have given to you. It is the denial of the truth that, quote, nothing you experience has been caused by anything outside of you, close quotes. Projection is the attempt to insist that reality is other than the way the Creator made it. Projection is the attempt to insist that you are not powerful, that you are a victim of circumstances, and that you are in a world that can actually do things to you and cause you to make decisions that you would not have made otherwise. That is always denial, and it is a lie. Again, Projection is the denial of the first axiom of truth. And you've mastered that well. You've mastered projection well. You have denied the first axiom. You've been trained into it and you've learned your lesson well. When you project onto another, you will then believe that your anger or your hatred is justified. In fact, the legal system means merely to take the act of projection and the need to judge and to make it okay socially so that you need not be concerned with this other person as your brother or your sister who's been crying out for help. Rather, you become justified in punishment. Yet, punishment is only the insane attempt to convince the punisher, the evil, whatever you want to call it, is not in the punisher. It's not in them. It's somewhere outside of them. Imagine, then, a society in which the prevalent legal view is simply that your brother or sister is an aspect of yourself and that if you would help yourself, you must help them. If you would help yourself, you must meet each cry for help and healing with forgiveness, love, and support. Can you imagine for a moment what it would be like to live in such a society? How would it be different than the world you see now? If you would have these things be different, it must begin with you. 
for the way to heal the world is not by seeking to change what is on the outside, but by first changing it on the inside. When that change has occurred, you will become a conduit for an energy that knows how to use your gifts, how to place you in just the right situations. And a great power will work effectively through you. The power alone that knows how to heal your world. There are many who would love to march for peace and angrily attack those who make war. However, if you would create peace in the world, you must create peace within yourself. Projection is an act of trying to get rid of what you do not want to own within yourself. It is the effect of the denial of truth. Projection colors your brother or sister with the very energies that you would judge within yourself. How can you begin to break the pattern of projection? How can you allow the bridge of forgiveness to be built? To be built? It is actually quite simple. And it will take a requirement of your commitment. So, again, the way of the heart, in the first lesson it says, Please understand, the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. The way of the intellect would have you trying to figure out how can we go out here outside of ourselves and create peace and end a war. But the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. It's not about thinking your way out of a problem that errant thoughts have created in the first place. If you would have things be different in the world, you must turn the focus inside yourself and remove everything within your mind-body energy system, within your consciousness, that has you creating any perception that's negative. Creating any perception tells you you need to defend or protect yourself. Remove any perception or judgment or conclusion that says you are better or worse than anyone else. When you do that, when you've done this forgiveness process enough times, you Usher yourself into an awareness of the purity of your own consciousness. And in that next moment, you understand that the consciousness of every other person is the same. And when that happens, you will become a conduit for an energy that knows how to use your gifts. And that that energy will place you in just the right situations. And a tremendous power will be flowing through you. It's not your intellect. It's through your heart center. It's not that you would know what to do. It's that you would begin by asking, what should I do? And as we were talking about on Friday, 
Step two in that process is I let go, I soften, I allow, I embrace whatever flows out of me that's peaceful, that's compassionate, that's gratitude-based. This is not something I could plan or think through with my mind or my intellect. So how do you break that pattern? You stop and you ask to be shown. And yet, you've got to learn to do this. You have to be willing. You have to commit. You have to be vigilant and do it moment to moment, breath to breath. And as the next segment talks about, the title of it is, Awakening Requires Vigilance and Discipline. And the text reads, I've said to you many times that the world you see is nothing more than the effect of the thoughts that you've held within the mind. Now this is not the totality of the world that is available. This is just the world that shows up in your mind. The world that shows up in your mind, the experience you have moment to moment, is the result of the effect of the thoughts you have chosen to value and hold within your mind. Therefore, it says, awakening requires the act of vigilance and discipline. The discipline to cultivate a way of living in which you observe your own thoughts in which you listen to the words that are coming out of your own mouth, in which you observe the feelings that are evoked within your body, the reactivity that seems to own you, you're watching the reactivity that seems to own you, and you watch all of this, and you see these things as innocent and simply self-caused. Everything you experience within your mind-body energy system needs to be viewed in truth and in clarity as something that is caused by your holding on to certain thoughts and beliefs. It's caused by what you've chosen to value. It's caused because that's what you're then communicating to the world around you. The world you see is the result of the thoughts you have chosen to hold within your mind. And if you choose to awaken, you must have discipline and vigilance. And it's the discipline to cultivate a way of living moment to moment, breath to breath, in which you observe your own thoughts And you listen to the words that are coming out of your own mouth. And you observe with great clarity the emotions, the physical sensations, the energies that are evoked within the body's energy system. You understand that the reactivity is caused by you 
and the value you place on certain thoughts and beliefs. And you understand it's okay. I'm at play in the kingdom. None of this ever has any negative effect on my true nature or the true nature of the world around me or the true nature of my brother and sister. All of us are sparks of the divine mind. All of us, each and every one of us, is its own ocean of consciousness. So I allow all of these energies, thoughts, beliefs, words, actions that come out of me, and I see them as simply self-caused. I own them 100%, and I breathe and soften, and I ask myself, is this an energy I would like to continue? And if not, I choose again. The text goes on and reads, when next something is reflected to you by the world that causes you to become angry or causes you to be in judgment, stop right where you are and look, not with judgment of your judgment, but with innocence and honesty. And just say this, quote, Oh, I see that I'm judging someone. That's an interesting cloud passing through the sky of my awareness. I wonder if I might be able to make another choice. Close quotes. Now, if you've been raised in this culture and you've been conditioned and your intellect has been shoved full of trivialities, the mind will tell you, well, wait a minute, this person just broke into my house and stole my stereo. Of course I have a right to be in judgment. I have a right to feel angry. But the text reads, I say unto you, anger is never justified. Anger is never justified. It does not mean that you will not experience it. Of course you're going to generate anger. You've been trained and conditioned to do that. You've been trained to believe you're right and the other person's wrong. And the more angry you get, the more you think it means you're right and they're wrong to in a more intense degree. But as Guy Finley says, my anger doesn't mean I'm right. My anger only means in this moment I don't have any idea what rightness truly is. So the text here says, I say unto you, anger is never justified. It does not mean you will not experience it, but please stop fooling yourself into believing that there's some validity to it. It's all self-created. This is the, the heart of dismantling my denial is that I recognize that all of these thoughts, all of these words coming out of my mouth, all of these actions, all of these feelings and energies evoked within my body, and all of the reactivity that seems to own me, these things are all innocent and simply self-caused. So there's no justification for it outside the fact that's product of the thoughts I'm holding on to right now. 
the text goes on and says, when someone has just broken into your home and taken your stereo equipment, or parentheses, some other idol that you love, close parentheses, what if you understood that you had the power in that moment to remember that all events are neutral? What if you remember that all events simply provide you with another chance to choose love, capital L, love? What if you literally chose what your world would call the insane way of looking upon the one who's just done that act? You look upon them as a brother or a sister who's crying out for help and healing. What if you chose to look upon them as one who does not know how to live in this world without being of the world? What if you chose to look at them as one who does not know the way to self-forgiveness? They don't know how to dismantle the false perceptions that leave them feeling negative. They don't know the truth of the capital L light that lives within them. And they do not yet recognize their great power to create whatever they want in a way that is not hurtful to anyone. What if you chose to look upon anybody who's done anything that you think of as wrong as someone who simply doesn't yet know their true nature, has too many veils in the way, has need for forgiveness? The process of removing the false perceptions, removing the veils that block them from seeing their true nature as an ocean of consciousness, as the essence of love expressing in form. What if you chose to look upon them with compassion rather than reactivity? The text reads, it begins in simple ways. To set the stage, I want you to remember that time has been given to you that you might use it constructively. This means that when you awaken in the morning, you realize you are in school. You don't have to drive anywhere. You're already there. The universe is literally helping to assist you into having experiences that will bring things up for you so that you can choose to look at them differently. When you look at them differently, thereby discovering the great power within you, the freedom within you to choose what you want to perceive and to elicit only what you want to feel. So that even if nails are being driven through the hands, you finally are liberated in the power to choose Love, capital L, love. And therefore, to overcome this world and all the beliefs and false perceptions and tensions and upsets that we generate internally, completely self-caused as we're here at play in the kingdom. The text reads, Having said this, please understand that each of your days is a blessing and a gift 
if you use it from the full commitment to awakening, your day is chock full of a million opportunities to discover a deeper truth. Therefore, never feel that the purpose of your life must be something other than what you are involved in now. For remember what we spoke of earlier. Quote, You are literally creating everything you choose, and nothing is forced upon you. Close quotes. Just imagine how this moves your process, how this will move your process if you choose this vigilance and this commitment. And you decide to spend more of your mind energy on your thoughts, on your judgments, on the words that come out of your mouth, the feelings and emotions and energies that are evoked within your body, and the reactivity, even when it seems to own you, it seems to be so overwhelming. And you choose to see these things as innocent and completely self-caused. Just imagine how your world is going to change when something gets reflected to you by the world that you would normally have a, a response to that would leave you with anger or be in judgment or feel an insult coming to your mouth, and instead you look with total honesty, oh, I'm choosing this thought. I'm valuing this belief and therefore this judgment. I'm in judgment, which is the opposite of forgiveness. I'm in judgment, meaning I'm creating a false perception. And forgiveness is the removal of false perceptions, the removal of the veils. I'm in the process of distorting my experience of life in this moment. That's an interesting cloud passing through the sky of my awareness. I wonder how it will feel if I make a different choice. What if I choose for love in this moment? What if I breathe and soften and I see the truth that all events are neutral? Yes, I'm going to generate thoughts of anger. I'm going to have attachments to certain people and certain physical objects. And when they're destroyed or taken from me or treated poorly by someone, I'm going to use these thoughts and beliefs I have to generate anger. And yet... There's no validity to it. What if I flip this around and recognize I'm an ocean of consciousness? I am one spark, one tiny spark of the divine consciousness, and this person that I'm generating angry thoughts about is also just like me. 
perhaps they're just like me and they've had moments in their lives when they've realized they were the spark of consciousness and an ocean of consciousness and extended love but in this moment they've forgotten their true nature they've forgotten that they are a being of brilliance and light perhaps they never learned that they could achieve whatever they desire without doing something that would be hurtful to anyone else how is my experience in this moment going to be different if I choose compassion for them rather than the anger rather than the justification for my anger that's our invitation about I don't know maybe maybe halfway through lesson three that's our invitation lesson three maybe we're not even halfway through it the power of forgiveness what is forgiveness forgiveness means that I dismantle my false perceptions it means to choose to release the world and another and myself from any false perceptions that I've been projecting into my mind's image of them it is an act of dismantling forgiving one's self of one's own projections it's removing the veils it's asking to be shown the shimmering radiance of the creative energy that underlies everyone and everything in every interaction I've ever had and the more I do that the more I dismantle my false perceptions about myself and the others around me the more clearly I get to see into the depth and the purity of my own consciousness and then I begin to see that it's the same consciousness that's in everyone and everything I see and then I get to understand like Krishnamurti would say that I've never really had a relationship with another person I've only had a relationship with my thoughts about them with my beliefs about who they should be and how they should relate to me and how I should relate to them and So it's an invitation to breathe and soften and question and keep more of my awareness focused internally on my own thoughts, my own words, my own actions, and to look at them with innocence and compassion. and to look with innocence and compassion upon everything that anybody else does so that's all we're going to read for today we've got three or four minutes left if somebody wants to raise a hand and make a quick comment I will remind us that we are here on a Monday so there will be a support group tomorrow um, there will not be one on Thanksgiving Thursday but um, there will be a support group tomorrow and you're welcome to join us or pass the information along to somebody else all the zoom 
login info you need is available at mindshiftersacademy.org website. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. Are you going to have a um, show on a show on Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving Day? Well, uh, it'll either be a, a live show or a best of show. That's yet to be determined. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And another quick question. I practiced my little meditation speech on Tim Bingham while we were walking yesterday, and he said the word love is just too loaded with all kinds of meanings for too many people. How about you use a different word for capital L, love? I know it's awfully short, but we were thinking of things like unconditional acceptance or unconditional Well, if if, if you're going to say something, if you're going to say unconditional, then you have conditional. Then you have conditional in the Mm -hmm. mind. So if you're going to say, you know, if you want to convey that, it would be total acceptance. Mm, Complete acceptance. All right. That's good. I've noticed. So with I'm, this, I'm I've, not. I'm not sure that I understand what this little meditation is that has the word love in it that Tim is <laughs> guiding you to, to do differently. Uh, our vestry has each vestry member leading a devotion before a vestry meeting, and my turn is coming up next. And I wanted okay. to, you know, so give a short talk on the Aramaic meaning of forgiveness without even using the word Aramaic because that's a trigger for people who are traditional Greek translationer Christians. Anyway, and, and so uh, I won't give the speech because it's too long. It's about four or five minutes long. I'm trying to get it very streamlined, not preachy, but it has everything to do with what you're reading in the way of mastery which is just great. I feel as if I'm running right along parallel practicing the things that you're talking about. And it's, it's got a byproduct of great excitement and delight about the whole thing, just to be doing it, doing a bad job of it, but doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd be willing to bet that that negative judgment you just threw in there was unnecessary. So... <laughs> All right, it's so messy. You're you're still practicing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've we've reached the end of our hour. So, thank you so much. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. We uh had heard from uh Celinda earlier. And I just put her name up there. So she, she is not a hand up waiting. And um, okay, I'll let you go and have a wonderful show. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Monday, November the 20th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563 563- 
999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Heading into Thanksgiving season and uh, offering thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation with you and to keep this uh, dynamic of forgiveness expanding on a global scale. We, uh, we see all kinds of crazy stuff happening in our culture, and yet at the same time, it seems that more and more people are stepping into, I'm ready to go to the next level in my process. I'm ready to stop seeing life through a filter of unresolved generational or cultural hostility and fear. Jean and I have been uh, watching a, a video series on YouTube called Jamestown. Back a few years ago, we were we had a family gathering in uh, at a timeshare near Jamestown and visited there. And uh, it was kind of tragic to be there. It was an interesting place. We learned lots. It was it was fun. But one of the uh, the pieces of the puzzle that we learned, and I think we talked about this a little bit. This is probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe even longer. Uh, we talked about the uh, the people who first came from England in particular landed in Jamestown. And most of them were indentured servants. Indentured meant that they paid seven years of their lives in labor in order to get on a boat and ride over to America. You know, who knows what all the reasons were? Were they escaping religious persecution? Were they, you know, whatever was going on. But um, one of the things that really impacted me so deeply as we went through, they had kind of a museum, and they had a quote from a letter from a tax collector that had come over from England to check out the colonies. And in his report back to London, he wrote that these people who were the indentured servants who'd come over, he said their li- they, they would be better off dead than the lives that they were living here, that what he observed was so tragic. And I put that together with, we've watched several series over the years of historically, or at least supposedly historically accurate happenings in different parts of the world. And the travesty and the tragedy of how in so many cases there was so little human life, cases, the abuse, the the power plays, the taking advantage of, the just simple rip-off for everything possible of people. It's just so insane. And that was one of the things that attracted us to watching this thing on Jamestown. It's a, you know, if, you're, if you're a prime member, it's a first year's free, then you have to join their system. But in any event, it's been interesting to watch the dynamics of 
non-human life, how there's a group of people, and this is a repeating theme through all of these historical things we've watched from stuff on Napoleon Bonaparte you've heard me talk about before, um, Versailles, if you've watched that series. The, there's a group of people who are still in touch with functioning as human beings, as love, and they tend to be rather accepting or subservient, not wishing to confront, not wishing to attack back, and how so many of these people's lives are just overrun by the brutal non-being minds based in rage and guilt and fear and other forms of mental deficiency, mental defect, literal mental illness. You know, we watch things like what happened in Nazi Germany and Mussolini. And we see that fascist mindset, which, you know, fascism is thought of as a political system. And fascism is not a political system. Fascism is a mental illness, period, from the word go. And, you know, each of these docu-series as we've watched over the years, you, you see this mindset of the fascist. I'm going to control you. If I can't control you, I'm going to abuse you. I'm going to do everything I can to take everything you've got. And I'm going to lie to you about how I'm here to do good for you. It's a basic bottom line. I was talking with someone this morning who had a, a friend that um, we've actually been processing this for a couple of days last week, someone that he had back in his old drinking days, having come out of a family of a father in prison, extreme, extreme, extreme abuse, watching extreme abuse of his mother, and being in a system of friends whose families pretty much functioned the same way. And he started doing this work about 30 years ago. And in just one generation, his family system brought about such monumental changes that you know, instead of children who think they deserve abuse, children who think they're worthless, children who think that's just the way life works, he has children who know who they are as love. He knows himself as a father as love. And it's just moved through, like, so much pain and trauma and generational hurt. And he was sharing with this family that he had known in those early days before he woke up from woke up to being a human being out of the abuse world that a friend of his had just last week passed away, and he was asked to be part of the funeral and the family system was that of the same kind of abuse that he had come from and just how much work it takes to face to, to disconnect from the world's drugs 
whether it's alcohol or food or sex or whatever it is, to, to disconnect use, from using those things as anesthetics and then to face the internal rage and fear that seemed like that's just the way life is because that's what everybody in our community, that's everybody in this hauler is doing. You know, it's, it's all just part of life. And to realize that if that's one's history, our history doesn't have to be our future. Our history doesn't have to be the future of our children, our grandchildren, and their children. That in just one generation, monumental changes can be made. That while perhaps not perfect in any given instance, gives people the opportunity to step into really truly functioning as human beings, recognizing that when you hold a newborn child and you tap into the essence of that newborn, virtually everybody agrees that that newborn essence is the presence of love and that when a child grows, they, you know, there's that old poem that says they learn what they live. I address it a little bit in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? You know, one of the thoughts that I express there is you you watch this child, this presence of love and how they come forward even to their abusers as the presence of love over and over and over again. And and nobody is born with hatred. Nobody is born with racism. Nobody is born with vengeance. They're learned realities that are programmed into and brainwashed into us as children through the dynamics of the power person. And the level of commitment that it takes, you know, most everybody, when they hear that it's possible to move out of that mindset and literally live in a mind and a body and an emotional structure that is built on serenity and sweetness in life, like that's actually possible. And everybody who hears that's possible is generally speaking, hooray, yes, I want it yesterday. I have five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know. And that's just not going to get it. If one has a history, when you start realizing that the, you know, the types of abuse I was talking about that we see in so many historical documentaries and in so many family systems, those types of abuse don't come about as a result of a, uh, a five-minute happening in somebody's life. And those types of abusive, whether it's self-abuse, whether it's abuse of others, they don't end in five minutes of, of processing, five minutes of dealing with something in one's life. You don't just say, oh, well, now I'm finished with something that it has been perhaps a hundred generations in the making. 
So, and, and, and there are so many circles in which when you look at it, even those who are at least theoretically talking about this man who 2,000 years ago brought a teaching based in love that went beyond anything that existed in the world at the time. And yet those who now, 2,000 years later, in the name of a man who said, fear not, at least 15 different times, in the name of a book where fear not in one form or another is expressed well over 300 times, a text that's designed ostensibly to take us back to our true nature as love, and yet the teachings that are presented there have such vile thought structures, such viciousness as though, well, that's normal. Well, no, it's not God's fault that God wants to punish you or that God's going to punish you. It's not, no, it's all your fault. And, and this idea of blame, this idea of fault, is at the root of the thought system that's supposed to take us back to love. And it's pretty crazy when you think about something is designed to take us back to love has as its core punishment and threat. Blame, guilt, fault. In truth, if one were to shift into a conversation based in love, all thoughts, all words based in hostility and fear would disappear. All of the emotional traumas based in grief and pain and abuse are going to be gone from the conversation. And for most people, it seems like, well, how, how could that even be possible? How, how could that be done? Well, it can only be done if I choose to clean up the device through which I'm expressing. And one of the things we got into in our uh, Mind Shifters and Soap on Breathing Club this weekend and the processing work was to recognize that this body-mind unit is simply a, a device for expression. You know, if I have a $10 transistor radio and I enjoyed listening to Mozart, I can listen to Mozart on the $10 transistor radio and, you know, I can kind of catch the music and I'm listening to Mozart. But if I, out there in the living room, have a $10,000 stereo system and I put Mozart on, I'm listening to Mozart. There's a difference. The unreformed reformers who have not done the work of cleaning up their own hostility and fear-based thought disorders, their own minds, will take a teaching on love and it will be filtered through the thought disorders of that mind. 
And what this work is really about is recognizing that this thing we call a body-mind unit is just an instrument for a vehicle for expression of our human lives. And a vehicle for the expression of love would be a vehicle that contains no energy other than that of the presence of love. And if the the thoughts, the words, I mean, you don't have to know anything about anybody's behavior to know what goes on in their lives. All you have to do is listen to their words. In fact, words are so important. This man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, said the power of both life and death is in our words. All you have to do is hear the words someone's speaking to know where they're going to lead you, where they're going to take you. And what I'm talking about here is not some sort of theory. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about actual, literal, physical, physics, physiology. The expression of our words comes into physiology through our words. And most people, until they start to clean the instrument up, are stuck in the thought disorders as well. I just have to fight against, you know, evil. Well, if you become a fighter against evil, then you are a fighter. You are trapped in evil. And and by the way, the word evil in Aramaic is is simply an archery term. When you fired at the bullseye and you missed the target altogether, the scorekeeper would yell evil. Until these things are cleaned out of the instrument, the instrument will tend to function out of whatever those energetic patterns are. So as long as fear or dread are attached to a negative fantasy in the mind, the world will bring to us the result of that negative fantasy. Ask and you receive. It was a really simple set of instructions. So whatever words, whatever thoughts occupy your mind and the words at the root of them will set up a literal magnetic energy that will resonate into your space the experiences that correspond with that language. So that result and probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages and that we've had hidden from us is the fact that we are by nature creators. And as a creator, whatever your words, whatever your language, whatever your thoughts are focused on, the results produced by that are going to arrive right on time as anticipated until the cause of those things is removed. When we recognize that, there's a massive amount of work to be done, and that work isn't done in five minutes. It's a lifetime of work. Well, Michael, why would it be a lifetime of work? Why couldn't we just snap our fingers and change it? Well, recognize that your physiology, and now we're talking on the level of what we've identified as carbon-based memory, your physiology is a product of a thousand generations. And if that's true, then the thought disorders unresolved in one generation are acted out, are spoken, are played out with the next generation. And if that generation has no tools with which to deal with that, no way to change it, then those thought disorders energetically, when you think of this as physics, on an energetic level are simply strengthened and passed on to the next generation. 
And you know, if you if you go to just the uh, the statement made in the ancient scriptures, and again, this is about genetics, the sins of the fathers are passed yea into three and four generations. That word sin again is an archery term. Fire at the bullseye, miss the bullseye, scorekeeper yells sin. Miss the target altogether, scorekeeper yells evil. You're off the mark. You're you're totally off with that idea. And so when you look at four generations, like did anybody ever tell us that the base of our thinking comes from the energetic patterns where every thought, every construct of the minds of the previous four generations, which is 31 lives, is stored within our structures, is stored within this body-mind unit, what we call carbon-based memory. So when you recognize that you have that in your structure, then you've got a foundation from what you think and from which you are going to be inclined to act. If, as, as I, for myself, realize, there's nobody that I can think of in my previous generations who knew that if hostility or fear was going on in, in one's mind, in one's language, in one's relationships, that there were tools for undoing that hostility or fear, being free of it, and replacing it with the active presence of love. So the work required for actual healing, when you think about the war and traumatic memories, energetic memories that exist in the psyche of humans, when those unresolved dynamics are resonated into activity. And, and the, the very fact that they're be, there, because we live in a world of resonance, and basically one of the features of the law of resonance is that resonance creates motion. Resonance creates an attraction. So generational patterns based in hostility or fear, those energies held within the structure, by definition, all energy is motion. Everything that's ever happened in your bloodline that's stored within your genes is an energy pattern that's there. And these energy patterns are set up resonating energy fields, literal, measurable, high-energy waves. So if we hold unresolved those kinds of corrupt data in our psyches, then when those things are resonated into activity and they will draw somebody in to play them out with us, the mind is going to show you those energies as thought disorders. But if you think that when a thought disorder is meant that, well, yeah, it's normal to hate somebody that, that uh, doesn't do what you want them to do. It's normal to abuse somebody who doesn't give you what you want. If, if that's the kind of thinking, then those thought disorders turn into atrocities that when they remain unresolved in the genes and the family systems, when they are presented in the teachings, I mean, even in churchianity, you hear so much about abuse and punishment. If those energetic patterns, those thought disorders are reflections in myths and modelings in stories of people generation after generation, then one lives and dies in the desert of unresolved, projected internal trauma that ends up being expressed as destructive behavior. 
and to be played out within the family system over and over and over. And in the mind of the person who hasn't resolved those types of thought disorders within them, their minds will generate pictures out of their own thought disorders of what it thinks are others. If you listen to Carl Jung, he spoke about that as the shadow. And then ultimately, we need to deal with our own shadow selves, our own dark side, our own unresolved hostility and fear. And in a mind where love is restricted, mind pursuing stuff, a mind pursuing success, a mind pursuing money, power, fame, where love is restricted or avoided altogether by the unresolved fear and hostility, the aberrant perceptions that come from that, we find people... Void of love and functioning out of an infected mind. And that mindset, you know, when you go back to when they ask Yeshua what's most important in the law, he says you must have Rachma. He's talking about a mindset. He's talking about an idea that does not even have words in our English language, does not even have words in the Latin or the Greek from which we see what what little we see of the Aramaic teachings. But the trauma-informed mind, one who carries unresolved generational or childhood trauma, defines and gives meaning, becomes the filter through which everything is seen. When mind constructs its worldview and that becomes the filter through which it sees everything, through the unresolved pain and trauma within one's own genetics and one's own instrument, one's own body-mind unit, those thought disorders simply perpetuate, perpetuate, perpetuate. It's like being on automatic pilot. Now, when you think four generations is 31 lives, if you sit down and do the math, in just 30 generations, there are 1.6 billion people in your genes. Carl Jung said it like this, greater than all physical dangers are the tremendous effects of delusional ideas which are yet denied all reality by our world-blinded consciousness. He says, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. We'll think it's coming from outside of us. All Thought disorders based in any form of pain, hostility, or fear must be owned and ultimately removed in order to upgrade this body-mind unit so that it's set, its natural state is that of serenity and love. You know, many hear the words of Yeshua, my peace I give to you. In Aramaic, the word wasn't peace. Peace is a a a war word. 
war and peace. They're, they're connected. The word that he used was my serenity I leave with you. You can't have serenity in your physiology where there are thought disorders based in hostility or fear. You can't have it. And of course, when you can't have it and you're in denial and you don't want to own that, you make up pictures about how everybody else is the reason that you're not in serenity, why your physiology is in pain. And until we have the the tools to come out of denial, the underlying cause of that pain will remain hidden and inaccessible. And the noise that will cover up the ability to experience yourself as who you are. So the bottom line, and these, again, you know, science is proving over and over and over again that these are, these are energetic patterns that are passed on from generation to generations. The inclination toward violent emotions, thoughts, and behaviors are rooted in these inherited traumas. The shadow, as Young talked about it. Multi-generational assaults reinforced through unconscious actions, generation after generation, stored and projected repeatedly, projected on family, projected on friends, projected on enemies, projected on self. And these things are all connected in the mind that can find no peace, cannot find its own serenity. Carl Jung says it like this, whatever is rejected from the self appears in the world as an event. In other words, if I have an unresolved thought disorder within me and that thought is resonated into activity by someone, I will use that thought disorder to project or to, to build my brain's image of that person, my mind's construct. And perception becomes a construct, and we put that construct in, on the inside of our eyeballs, and we replace the world of actuality, what's actually there, with those unresolved dynamics. So Jung says it again this way, we meet ourselves time and again in a thousand disguises on the path of life. Well, how does that work? If I live in the world of perception instead of the world of actuality, then whatever actuality resonates in me, I paint a picture built out of that. The mind has this awesome ability to turn thoughts into pictures. And I build those pictures out of, if, if, pardon me, I'm building those pictures out of thought disorders, then very disturbing pictures will show up in my eyeballs, and I'll talk about how everybody else is responsible for what's showing up on the inside of my eyeballs because I think I'm actually looking out there, and you're not looking out there. You've never seen anything outside of yourself in your life, and you never will be. The only thing you get to see is the images your brain makes up. And if the images your brain makes up are based in thought disorders, then serenity seems like an impossibility. There's always somebody to blame for that. It's somebody else's fault. Again, in this culture, by the age of four, virtually everyone is already a very dedicated, devout, religious person and members of the one world universal religion of blame. It's all everybody else's fault. 
Yang says this, it this way, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. How many times do we need to hear that? Well, in order to break through a mind locked into generational trauma, it's going to take a few times. Quote, again, Carl Jung, everything that appears to irritate us about others can lead us to understanding ourselves. So the foundation, the basis of our work, the reason we're having this conversation, the reason this conversation has been going on for 12 years now on this show, is to support having access to a different way of thinking, a way that supports them in freeing themselves of even the subtlest generational trauma, even in the subtlest thought that, oh, I'm in pain because... Harry did this, Mary did that, Bill did that, Hortense did this. No, you've never been in pain about what anybody has ever done ever in your life. That's a lie of your mind. The only reason you've ever been in pain is because you've allowed an energy into your structure and or you inherited an energy in your genes that never belonged in you and your pain is physiology calling out to you to be responsible and to move it out. You've got to quit that religion. You've got to be converted to a mind based in love rather than a mind based in thought disorders and hostility and fear in order to even start to function as a human being. So truly our whole purpose is to convert people. And conversion has nothing to do with the religion. You know, look at the newborn child, just watch them in the first couple of years, and they are totally, completely fueled by the presence of love. You know, if their diapers are empties and their bellies are full, they're fueled by love. How much abuse does it take to convert that mind into a hostility or fear-based mind? Well, if your mind has been converted into a hostility or fear-based mind, we're here to support you in being converted back to a love-based mind. Nothing to do with the religion, this idea of conversion. <laughs> it's simply take us back to our natural state, plug us back into the, the mind functioning out of a connection to love. That's what that word rachma meant when they said to Yeshua, must, what's most important in the law? He didn't say love your neighbor. He didn't say love God as yourself. He said of rachma, when you think of the creator, have rachma when you think of the, your neighbor, and by so doing, you maintain self. You get to maintain your human life. So when we talk about recovery with this work, we're talking about recovery of the original state of being, who you are as created love. So that's what we're here to do. Hope that makes sense to everybody. And Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? We do have two hands up. And the first, oh, awesome. one, is a new, first one is a new number. It's area code 646. You are on the air. I believe she said her name was Esther. Yes. Welcome, Esther. How are you, young lady? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> How can we support you? What's on your mind today? Uh, one thing I want to say that the things that you were saying is so true. Uh, thank you for that. 
you are welcome and as Dr. Tim always says, deserving. Each of yeah. us is. That's true. That is so true. You know, whatever our history um, <laughs> whatever our history that is, the truth is we deserve to be treated lovingly, gently and with respect, to treat ourselves lovingly, gently and with respect, and to treat others around right. us lovingly, gently and with respect. So that's our our goal here. That's our purpose here. Yeah. Mm, that is true. <laughs> now, um, the guy that I'm still feeling, um, just want to know, can, are we still going to be together, or is it just going to be the way it is? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure exactly where you're coming from. However, this show used to be on a different network where the lady who ran the, the network was about doing kind of psychic readings and such. And mm-hmm. we've separated from the network because that's not where we're – that's not the purpose of our work here. Uh, we don't get okay. into – doing psychic type feedback we're here to offer support for and and from what i hear you saying it sounds like there's some conflict some deep conflict in a relationship and what we're here to do Mm -hmm. is to offer you the tools to resolve that conflict within yourself and when you resolve that conflict within yourself the tendency is for the places that you know in the places where that conflict has shown up in our lives that conflict tends to start to disappear so that's more the direction we're going if, you know, maybe you back when the uh, network was um, in, a, in a different mode, your question would have been something we do, that that network would have been about answering, but we're not really equipped or uh, into doing psychic-type feedback or readings. But we can sure support you in in learning if there's trauma going on in your relationship. We can certainly support you in eradicating that trauma from yourself, which will tend to eradicate Mm -hmm. that trauma from your life. And we've got a forgiveness in the Aramaic language. The word forgive has nothing to do with this culture's idea of I'm going to let you off the hook for the pain that's happening inside of me. Because if I let you off the hook and everybody else in the world off the hook for the pain that's happening inside of me, I've still done nothing to to deal with the pain that's inside of me. And as long as I hold pain inside of me, then I'll tend to reproduce pain in my relationships and in my world. When I go inside Mm -hmm. and start to remove those traumatic energies, then I begin to free myself from pain and trauma, and and energetically I stop calling it for for it to show up in my world. So the forgiveness process, as we're teaching it, coming out of the first century Aramaic language, is how I go inside myself and remove what tends to be these generational traumas. That's what's called forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, if okay. you go to your app store on your phone and search for Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, you'll find the world's only forgiveness app. And in that app, you can go into and do the worksheet process for starting to address what's going on inside of you that's reflecting outside of you. So that would be a starting point. You know, we've got, oh, thousands of hours of archives of our radio show where we've walked people through all kinds of different traumas and processes for healing on the inside and then changing the reflection on the outside. 
You can go to our website, whyagain.org. There are 20,000 pages of information on this topic, and everything that we've got, you know, pretty much everything is available free. There are some, you know, paid ways to participate in the work, but we've also, you know, done our best to make everything available as freely as possible. So if you go to the website, there are all kinds of resources. We've got a YouTube channel with dozens of videos, all designed to introduce you to and support you in going through the work of healing through your relationships. In fact, that's the name of one of our workshops, Healing Through Relationships. Okay. And you said S-W-H? I or uh, our website W H Y. The the name of my book is oh, Why is this happening to okay. me again? W H Y and then the word again. Whyagain dot org is our website. And if you go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, if you just type in Michael Rice, you'll find our YouTube channel, okay. and it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-Y-C-E. The forgiveness video, you know, our whole workshop is there. There are dozens and dozens of videos that you can start to work with. And in particular, the forgiveness worksheet process is the most important tool we teach. There's all kinds of support there for learning. And, and then, of course, if you start to engage with that, and questions come up. The purpose of this show is to keep answering your questions and give you as much support for okay. healing in your life as we possibly can. Okay. Thank you so, so much. It's a delight to hear from you, and website. I hope we'll hear from you again. And as you start to use the tools, if questions surface, it would be a delight to, to talk to you again. Thanks for being with us. All right, Ms. Jeannie, you've got another caller? Well, it was Miss Susan, and her hand went back down, so she might have been just left over from Dr. Tim, but I'm going to turn her microphone on. Hi, Susan. <laughs> Hi. Susan's Sorry, always I've got some good he- thoughts. Well, I have hearing aids, and I, if I touch my ear a certain way, it hangs up the phone. <laughs> so that's what right. happened, Jeannie. Okay. Well, um, I, t- I asked Dr. Tim on his show, but you've been talking all around words that could be used in, instead of the word love. And he said um, complete acceptance was one. I'm trying to find synonyms, synonyms to the word love that I can use in my little vestry meditation that I'm preparing for. Um, I I gave it to Tim Bingham the other day on a walk, and he said, you know, the word love is just so misconstrued, as you say, too. Uh, is Let's find some other words. And you said mindset. Of course, that would need some defining, but you're talking about setting Rachma. But I, I'm not going to go into what Rachma is in, in this three to five minute long meditation. Serenity, acceptance, complete acceptance, mindset. Um, anyway, I'd love some more words <laughs> if you had them. Tell me, tell me more about the context of it. I want to introduce the concept of Aramaic forgiveness without freaking out the clergy by saying that this is the Aramaic definition because the argument there is that every Aramaic word depends on how you say it, which syllable you emphasize. It may not mean what you're saying it means. However, 
I think Jesus demonstrated Aramaic forgiveness on the cross when he said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They are innocent. To see another person's total innocence, not even name, I think it's the Course in Miracles that says, if you pardon or let off the hook, that's a, that's a Michael Riceism, you are actually making the sin real. Jesus doesn't make any sins real. He makes the innocence, the topmost major reason for forgiveness. It's just seeing someone in their, in their, as Tim Bingham said, how about using the word soul? You see them in their soul, their pure soul, the holiness of them. I love all that. I'm trying to put it together so I don't freak anybody out. But also, I think the problems of the world stem from our misunderstanding of the word forgive. It has so much ego in it. I'm taking the high road, you scumbag. I mean, it just doesn't do <laughs> the trick. Yeah. So, so I'm just fooling around. My, my meeting isn't for a week or two more, and I've done more meditating on this with many, many side, side trips, which have all been great. It's like I have my own little radio show going on in my head, but I need to touch base with reality every once in a while, which is you and Tim, Dr. Tim. Right. So that's what I'm trying well, to do. Another word that comes to me, you know, when when we ask in the Chusi Genie, when we you know we're traveling, we'd ask at the beginning of each "Why is this happening to me again?" workshop for words that described the energy of the newborn child. And one of the words yeah. we would get would be innocence. Yeah. And we usually convert that word, break it in two, to inner sense. That mm. when we touch into the truth of who we are, you know, if, if in fact, you know, may, maybe another way to say it might be to touch into the aspect of this person that is truly made in the image and likeness of the creator. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That, am, am I able, instead of seeing them through the filters in my mind of hostility and fear, can I see them through this filter of innocence? Great. And That's great. Filter. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. You know, mm. Paul, you can tie it in with Paul talks about how we see as though through a glass darkly. Yeah. What what would the glass, what would we describe the glass that gives clarity but the glass of innocence? And mm, that relates to the, the, the inner sense that was given to us in our very creation. Yep. And that unfortunately people often surrender to the dynamics of hostility and fear in their world, in their lives. Mm-hmm. That's good. Being, being is another word that I, lof- I often use, is that, you mm-hmm. know, we've got being and we've got non-being. And non-being would mm-hmm. be a self, you know. If you tie this idea into, Yeshua talks about how in order for you to live, you've got to die. What needs to die? The non-being self, the self the the appearance of a self based in hostility or fear that replaces the truth of who we are. Well, that's nice too. 
Uh, another piece that comes to mind that might fit and tie into it, uh, especially take it into a, a church group, would be, you know, that uh, that passage in in the scene with the high priest servant outside of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. where Yeshua directly addresses Peter and calls mm-hmm. him Satan. Yeah. And then he defines what he means. You think in the mind of man rather than the plan of God. So can we see through see this person in their original innocence through the mind connected to the creator? And if the creator is love, then we're looking through the mind of love. Original innocence. I original like innocence. Too. Yeah, it's where we all started. And everyone that comes in with it has it available. And sadly, the purpose of the world, and and sadly, even more sadly, too often, the purpose of so-called Christianity has become to beat that original innocence out of us by telling us how guilty and bad and wrong and evil and, you know, on and on and on goes the list, how helpless, how hopeless, how, you know, impossible it is, you've got to rely on, you know, I mean, that that whole game is an atrocity. Right. So original innocence, original blessing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Those are good. So I hope that uh, helps to move things in the direction. It does. It does. I'm just hoping, you know, I don't want to use... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just want this to flow, (laughs) this little talk. I don't want to read notes. I just want to talk to my friends Uh, I'm going to invite them to close their eyes, take a breath, settle in, and put their attention into their heart. I think people hear better with their heart. (laughs) So if I can get away with that. So what were you going to say? You want a a piece of music to go with it? Wow. Something you you could start with or finish with? Well, I'd love to hear what it is. I probably won't. My time is limited. And okay. also, it's on Zoom, which the sound quality, you talk about the transistor radio, it's not worth hmm. trying to do it. Right. But I'd love to know the piece. Well, you could maybe do a screen share and bring it in. Uh, but if you do a search on YouTube for, uh, and I, I don't remember his name, Jeannie brought it up the other day, but I don't recall it. Jeannie, maybe you've got it on the tip of your tongue, but there's a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, by a 10-year-old autistic boy that is just awesome. It is That's such a sweet... That's the one you sweet... said was on... Brilliant. I was I think thinking it was on, on, on AGT, but whatever it is, if you just put in 10-year-old yeah. autistic, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and this little okay. kid's voice is just so amazing. And you know, this is an autistic blind child. And uh, wow! <sighs> when I want to open my field, I go back to that yeah. song. I've done it over and oh, over and over Thanks. again. Well, it's I'll really powerful. To it. That's great. Thanks. Cool. I just Sweet. put the and YouTube I... link in the notes for today. His name is Christopher deep? Duffley. I'm doing good. No. I had physical therapy this morning and and uh, got a workout. So <laughs> good, good. Yep. Rocking on. 
Yeah. All right, and and if as you develop it, if you want to send it to me, I'll have a look and see if I have any thoughts I can add to it. I think I sent you an early, early, early rough draft ages ago, and thank goodness you didn't pick it up and run with it because it wasn't ready enough to send you. So, hmm. yeah, okay. if I feel as if it's and ready when enough. And when you send me something by email... If mm-hmm. you would, like right now, my email inbox has got about three hundred thousand emails in it. If oh, if you please. would just uh, if you would just send me a text that says sent you an email today, then I'll know to look for yeah. it. Okay. Otherwise, okay. oftentimes, sadly, uh, due to my uh, inefficiency hand, inefficiency at handling my inbox, <laughs> um, yeah. it gets lost in the shuffle. So, but just send me a text saying it. you sent it, and I'll be sure to look. Okay. Good. Cool. All right. Any other thoughts for you today? Well, I have a teeny thought about our friend Michael. We have a game plan because Tim and I are now officially on this independent living uh, thing. And we were thinking that inside of five years, provided our health holds, we will go there and sell the house and get rid of a lot of stuff. But that means making sure Michael has, has a secure place to live and there's been a lot of you know this isn't good and that isn't good kind of nothing is right so we thought well we want to set you up and he says ultimately he wants a good van that he can live out of even though I think we're talking him out of that because he's 68 or 9 years old living like that is not going to be so great so yeah it's a pretty rough way to go yeah it is so we're setting up a savings account for him. He tends not to save any money because he just doesn't think about it that way. So I said, what if I were the trustee for you and you could give me a goodly little chunk every month that you wouldn't even see and it would be protected? And he said, I'm willing to do that. Uh, so January 1st, we're setting up a little trust fund savings awesome. account for him. And I think Inside of three years, he'll have enough for either a good down payment on a room somewhere or a rental or subsidized living or a van, but in any case, he'll have something. So that's that's just what we're doing right now. And Sweet. he's been a gift because I do I have to do a lot of work on myself in order to hold love active in presence because the impulse to clobber is very lively in my being. (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful gift. (laughs) It's a gift. It is all around. So, but I do a lot of deep breathing, Michael. (laughs) Yeah. So who, who was it that taught you that clobbering was a solution to something? Oh, heavens, you know. <laughs> you know yeah. the answer. It's our modus operandi. Uh-huh. Yep, no. the solution is to Maybe clobber. it's time for the next layer of work with your power person then. Oh, I, I thought I had pretty much... Okay, go ahead. Tell me what to do. I, well, I no, thought just, I had you know, been through all that. Well, if you've been through that, but your mind still feeds a, an inclination to, as you say, clobber, 
then <laughs> there's more, you know, that clobbering energy is going to have to be sooner or later forgiven for you to be in total serenity, to really achieve serenity in yourself mm-hmm. as, as it's well, possible to do. And I know you've mm-hmm. made huge strides from old days where it took uh, pills to, to keep that stuff down, where you've allowed it to come up, and maybe it's just time to mm-hmm. go to the next level. Okay, Michael, I have a teeny testimonial. Even while we're doing the work, even while it is looks very messy, there are healed byproducts to ourselves which just make life so much more wonderful, even if the mess is still there. The, the times of feeling in the present, clear mind, joy, uh, appreciation, all of those things seem to be popping out even though I'm definitely still in a big mess with not only, I mean, I, I had a run-in with somebody in the grocery store today, but the tools did it. I said, what do I need to, what, what's required to, to deserve this free turkey? I didn't know you have to have a certain amount of points. And she said, what is your question? And I said, I'm, I don't understand if I, if I qualify for having this turkey. I don't understand your question. Just take the turkey. And I said, well, but if I get to the checkout, I mean, I had to breathe and stay nice. <laughs> and I stayed nice is what I'm saying. I stayed nice and I thanked her. But she was definitely in not a very happy ego state when she was talking to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, holding the space things. for her and for you, young lady, for an awesome Thanksgiving. Thank you. All right, we you appreciate too. you. Are you going to be on on Thursday? Okay, I know you guys. All right. Okay. No, actually, Bye. we're going to do a recorded show, I think, aren't we, Jeannie, Thursday? Uh, uh, no, I thought we were going to do a live show. We weren't going to do the book club. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. Yes. We'll be on Thursday. Yes, All right. Ma'am. I might be able to make it. All right. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks okay, for joining thanks us, everybody. Bye. Bye. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.